Thanks for tuning in to the Rodeo Wagon Podcast with Marcus Mass. If you like this podcast, make sure you go and support our great partners over at Bluegrass Engravings, Sombrero Brands, Ranch Life, and Cosmic Cowboy Productions. Man, what have you been up to? It's been a minute. Uh, it's, yeah, it's been kind of a different life for us, I guess. We've been trying to live a normal life, I guess, so to say, as most, I guess our normal life is different than most people's normal, actual normal life, but I guess this is what normal life is called, I guess. Yeah, no joke. Uh, I'm far, far vote from you. Uh, I've been out since. Well, I had freaking surgery on my ankle in June, and then yeah. second bull back, I freaking destroyed my shoulder, so now I'm back. I'm be out until June again. <laughs> Dang. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of a lot of people call it a normal life, but it's a boring life, in my opinion. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'm not so sure that my my wife's a fan of it. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm starting to think mine ain't either. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you do when you have somebody that's you know used to traveling and competing every weekend, and then no, all this cold turkey just? <laughs> yeah, no, we're actually we're actually really busy, but. It's a different kind of busy, I guess. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It's a different kind of busy on the weekends for sure. <laughs> yeah, I've I've been I mean, I weekends actually kind of been my easy times lately. I mean, I've been judging a couple bull ridings, a couple for charities here and there, but besides that, we haven't I mean, we haven't been going to rodeos, you know, or any board items if I'm not judging just to hang out. Right. So if I'm not judging, normally we're just sitting at home for the weekend or we'll go out for dinner or something. Yeah, it's weekends ain't too overly busy for me anymore. Yeah, I've been heck. I'm so I still I graduate in May. So I feel like my weekends are like heavy schoolwork, you know? Right. And which so when I'm traveling, it would. That's generally what I did anyway, but when you're driving, you know, 14 hours or, you know, you're on a plane or whatever, there's so much time that schoolwork, that's when I did it. But now it's right. like obstacles, like now I'm at home, so I have my kids and stuff and I want to spend time with them, but that's like the time that I'm doing schoolwork and it's kind of just balancing that. Yeah. Yeah. You got her. Yeah. We're just, we're still kicking along. What do you? Slowly, what do you mostly do like during the week? I mean, are you working? I assume that Marcus Mast is working. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually working lately. Uh, I've been working my tail off here lately. I, um, I still work part-time in the RV factory, and which their RV factories are really slow right now. They're, most places are working three days a week, and um, they're where I've been working at. I've been I've worked there for the past five five and a half years now. Um been basically a part time guy ever since I started there. Mm-hmm. But there and you know, if I'm if I can't go ride bulls, I can work, so but most of the times we're we start at five in the morning and then most of the times we're done by nine, ten o'clock in the morning so it's i mean you work four or five hours a day for three days a week it, 
uh, it's a little bit of income, but it's not too overly great. So I've been uh, doing some livestock hauling, doing some judging, and doing a bunch of stuff, just kind of little knickknack stuff, trading some hay and trading some horses, just try and make a little bit of money. What's your uh, back been like as far as that part? Like recovering enough to where like you're starting to be able to work more and take more of a load, you know, as far as all of that? Yeah, I mean, it's should I actually told my wife yesterday. I said, I think I started getting fatter now that I was that I've been able to work uh, since I took my brace off and actually been able to do something. I feel like I've gained more weight. I don't know if I put more muscle back on or if right. I just or fat back on. Well, you um, probably put a lot more muscle back on. Yeah, I mean, I had, you know, I had the brace on for four months and couldn't really do nothing. So I did, I lost a lot of muscle. I probably gained some fat on it too without, you know, when I lost the muscle, but um, been able to get back kind of to it up and um I got a stock contractor that lives about an hour south of me that I've been helping him quite a bit. Um, he's got 70 head of bull calves, 80 head of bull calves that we went through for the first time here a couple of weeks ago. And we've been busy working them. We've got about 55, 60 head of heifers that we got to go through yet that we haven't gone through. And um, he does a lot of, a lot of livestock hauling, dairy cattle, whatnot. So, I've been helping him with that a lot. The hauling cattle part, I've been doing that for him uh, about two weeks after I got hurt. Once I was actually, a lot of the pain went down from my back where I could comfortably drive around. I did a lot of livestock hauling for him. And yeah, still just kind of still working for him quite a bit, I guess. One second. My All children right. are about to break in here and do some crazy. <laughs> Give me one, right. one second. There we go. That's that's, that's parenthood right there. My van yeah. is getting tires put on, so <laughs> yeah. So we're doing it in the the bedroom today oh yeah 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 i i could imagine look i've never had i've you know i've obviously had a, a handful of surgeries but the back has never been really something that i've had to go through i, I imagine that's probably a a decently difficult recovery process just because of how much you use your freaking back it, it was your neck though how much does that yeah go, get get a little bit into that because i'm not even completely sure how all of that works in the vertebrae and and all of that. So it was actually the L1, which is actually my lower back. I mean, the way the way I landed, a lot of people actually thought I broke my neck. But it was actually my lower back. So it's basically the L1. I guess I don't know for sure the medical term on what the actual name is for the L1. Uh, but it broke the wing off of it so you know it's got a wing on each side of it that connects all i guess all the muscles and ligaments and stuff to the spine and it broke one of those wings off 
and it's the basically so the the L1 is basically in the spot where you know when you do all your lifting and stuff if you if you just bend over and lift something up you feel the strain on your lower back that's where I broke it okay okay <laughs> so it's uh it's one of those things where I mean I had basically wasn't supposed to pick anything up for about a month or two Mm -hmm. And then I had a five pound weight limit restriction and it's been, yeah, it was definitely something to get used to, you know, you're trying to do something or whatever. And then you got your back brace on, you go to pick something up and it's like, Oh shit, I ain't supposed to pick this up. Never. I ain't never had this in my life before. Especially five pounds. Cause that's not a lot. Like, no, you, it's not. You can't pick your kid up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, any of them. <laughs> and we're, those first two weeks was rough. I mean, just them. I mean, I couldn't even hardly sit in a chair. I, my back hurt so bad, like all my. And it was like when I hit the ground, I I knew immediately, or I was pretty ninety nine percent sure something was wrong. Mm -hmm. I mean, I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know what. Um, the only thing that threw me up off. Oh, of my back being broken was I sat up right away but I couldn't like I couldn't get past the sat up part I couldn't get all the way yeah. up like it was like my whole all my muscles in my body just clamped together and wouldn't let me get on up it hurt so freaking bad and but yeah I mean I had J-Dub asked me it's like is your back broke? I'm like, uh, I mean, I can't say for sure, but I'm like 99% positive it is. And then, I mean, luckily for me, not that having a broken back is lucky, but luckily for me, it was just one of the wings broke off. And I've had a lot of guys tell me, oh, well, I had that same thing happen to me and I was back in three weeks and, you know, now for me, I'm off for six months already. Right. Um, and I kind of gave Tandy a little bit of shit about that. And he said, well, yours is broken different than what a lot of guys is. He said, a lot of guy, a lot of people, if they break their wing off, they'll break it. Like, so say the disc is here and then the wing is coming off of here. He said a lot of people break it down here halfway down the disc or halfway down the wing. And I broke it right as it comes off of the disc. So I said there's no bone marrow there. So it takes a lot longer to heal that back together than it does if it has bone marrow in it. Interesting. Shit, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I <laughs> All I can do is listen to what he says and hope he ain't feeding me a crock of shit. Yeah, for sure. Heck, I mean, Tandy, he probably, I, he, when I got this last, so this, this shoulder surgery I had, I had another doctor do, um, here in St. Louis and I'm really happy with it and really happy with how he did. But that was probably the biggest thing that made me nervous was not going to Tandy. And it just didn't make any right. sense to go to Tandy because my insurance was going to just pay for it all if I went in network and right. Baylor is out of network so it that was kind of the 
you know, rock in a hard place. Like you want to go to Tandy right. for everything, but when they're like, Hey, it's going to be, you know, this much cheaper then it's like, well, <laughs> right. Probably going right. that route. But yeah, but uh, what, so I guess like you get into the lower back and you talk about that. What does that recovery look like? Are you doing like, do they have you doing a lot of like hip stuff and like it, as far as PT and stuff? I'm actually, I mean, so far I'm, only doing small workouts, uh, a lot of just, I mean, I guess I shouldn't say a lot because I'm not doing a lot. I'm just doing small stuff right now. But yeah. most of it is just core strength, trying to build my core strength back. And, you know, I mean, that's that lower back, I guess a lot of it comes from your core strength. So, and with me wearing that brace, I lost a lot of that core strength, yeah. core muscle. So I got to work on that, build, building that back up. And I mean, at this point, I'm still not released. I'd, last time I talked with Tandy, he said, I'm still trying to come back early, which I wasn't necessarily trying to come back. I mean, I'm ready to be back, but I mean, I'm not going to be able to ride as soon as he releases me, but. Yeah. I need to, uh, like, I want to start being able to work out right full extent and try and get that stuff back. But I was, I was planning on going to Indianapolis this weekend and hopefully find some answers this weekend. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. So it's just, I mean, right now, mostly I'm just trying to do some core workouts until he gives me the go ahead to work more than that if i if i get the go ahead i go guess ahead. yeah 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 that's man the atrophy like i'm sure in your back like the core you know wearing that brace certainly you had probably muscle atrophy down your spine or yeah the muscles that run on the you know the sides of your spine right but i I, you know, I know with my, like my lower back, when, you know, you talk about that's a pressure when you feel it, I know how like your hips are connected and I, I imagine at some point you'll probably be doing stuff that will kind of take pressure off of that, you know? Right. And I've, and I've had, you know, I work in part-time in the RV factory now, so I'm wearing a tool pouch and I've had people ask me if that's been like, if it bothers me wearing a yeah. tool pouch. And I, for a couple of years already, I've, I mean, basically my, ever since I've been 19 years old, I've worked either in a RV factory or at least part-time in an RV factory and I've worked back in floors and that's basically where all the heavy work is done. All the heavy lifting gets done and the floor, floor guys always wear bigger tool pouches, heavier tool pouches and I, for a couple of years, I've, I've always come home with basically raw hips because of my tool pouch being that heavy. So I, for a couple of years already, I've wore a tool pouch with suspenders. Yeah. Okay. And that takes a lot of the weight off of your hips and your lower back. And like there, there's been days, you know, where I've come home from work and, and I'm sore, but it's, I told, told my wife, I said, you know, I've had lower back issues since I don't know how long ago. And I don't feel like, you know, some days when I come home and I sit down for 
half an hour or so and I get up, I'm stiff as a shit. <laughs> it's not like it's worse than it was before I broke right. my back. It's basically the same same thing. So I don't feel like it, it's coming from my back, from my sure. broken back, I guess. Right. Yeah, I man, I so when <clears> I <throat> busted my ankle up and snapped it in two in June, and uh, you know, I actually was able to get back to work in my buddy. And, uh, you know, you're probably one of the most requested people I've had to come on the podcast, if not the most. And I was, uh, I worked with, uh, Malin Schlobaum and a few Amish boys and, you know, he's, so he's ex Amish. And, and then, so then, you know, I hit, there's one boy that came from Maine, the other one, I think from Ohio, maybe two of them from Ohio. But gotcha. in Ohio, um, and you know, so I was doing construction with them, and they were green, fresh off the community, you know, yeah. riding bulls. I I think uh, Peter, I think it was two years maybe that he was from Ectomish, and then his little brother was like four months out of the community, and <laughs> they're all riding bulls and doing construction, and uh. You know, that was the first time I'd, you know, done like framing houses and, and right. all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, wearing a tool belt, you know, that was new for me. And that definitely <laughs> jacked up my back. I definitely know what you're saying. Come home yeah. from work and you're like, man, my body's not used to that. I could see the suspenders. I don't have them, but you say that. And I think I'm probably going to freaking get some. <laughs> they're, they're actually, it makes, I didn't wear any for a long time just because I was too stubborn, but uh-huh. probably I got back issues now. Um, a lot of people are going to say, no, it's because you broke your back. No, I had to, <laughs> I had lower back issues before I ever broke my back. Yeah. And I'm just, I mean, and like doing, doing construction, you know, the framework and whatever you're bent over a lot too. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's never great on your back either. And I, I'm sure a lot of that has a part to play in it too, but wearing a tool pouch for nine, 10 hours a day, sometimes 12 hours a day is definitely don't help anything. Yeah. Not at all. No, for sure. But if suspenders you, do make a world of difference wearing a tool pouch. My, my cousin, he actually came down and I don't know if you've met my cousin, Kenny redhead. don't know that i have all right well he um he came down and and helped us one week and he used to um he used to do construction a lot so he had his tool belt and he brought it down he had the suspenders on there (laughs) so that's the first time i saw that and i heck i did fencing for a a good while you know building fence but you don't use a tool belt building fence so i never even freaking had one Yeah, they're they're a lot warmer during the summer. I mean, you'll you'll sweat a lot more during the summer, but they're they're still a lot nicer to ha- to wear those. And I mean, in the summer your hips get a, l- a little more raw. Yeah, a little lot more raw wearing the tool pouch than than they do during the winter. And if you got suspenders, it helps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely get that. Especially I for me, I don't have a freaking butt anyway. And so I have to lock them suckers in just to keep them from freaking, you know, pulling my pants. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's because I haven't really ever heard your story and I'm curious about it. And I know a lot of people are as far as like, you know, what was that like, you know, transitioning, you know, from from the Amish. And then like, how did you get started riding bulls and how soon was that? You know, I know 
a lot of these Amish right now that, you know, I've been talking to are freaking hardworking, good dudes that are fresh off the community. And it's kind of cool to see that they're building a little community outside of it. And I think that's right. a great, great way to kind of be introduced into obviously a different culture. And then, you know, the rodeo culture at that, you know, so just curious on that, if you had any tips for some of these guys and, and kind of what was your, that process like for you? Oh, you know, I mean, it's, it was, uh, kind of the same thing that probably a lot of those, those kids down there are. And, um, when I turned 16, I, you know, I started the, what they call the room springer mm-hmm. and, uh, I was allowed I think my mom and dad gave me 15 bucks a weekend to go do whatever I want. Plus whatever money I had saved up, you know, before I turned 16, which wasn't a whole lot. Yeah. Um, and I, I started working a job, uh, didn't pay a whole lot. And my mom and dad got all that money except for what they, what they gave me, which was their allowance. And I, at first it was 15 bucks. I think by the time I was about 16 and a half, they had upped it to 50 bucks a weekend. And, you know, I'd, I'd work during the week and whatever money I'd make, they'd get that. And then they'd give me 50 bucks for the weekend to okay. money spending, whatever. And, uh, yeah, about the time I was, Oh, I don't know. I think actually, I mean, soon after I turned 16, I started going with, you probably remember him, Rich Yoder. Yeah. Lives out there in Kansas. He uh-huh. he was by the Bulls. And so my oldest brother's actually married to one of his sisters. Okay. Um, so we knew each other quite a, pretty good. And I started going with him to, to rodeos and bull rides during the summer and during the winter. And, um, uh, just a little bit, about a month or two before I turned seventeen, I, I had been on his on his ass about I want to I want to try this too. Take me to practice pen or somewhere where I can get on one. And he calls me up. I was it was uh, Monday nights. He calls me. I was out doing chores, and we were all always supposed to give mom and dad like a day or two heads up if we were going to go go somewhere. And I was doing chores. I didn't have no plans to go anywhere. And Rich calls me, and he's like, "Hey, we're gonna go to the pra- this practice pen. You want to go along?" He said, "It's just like five, six hundred pound steers." That he said they're not mean at all. He said we take hold of their horns and make them turn back, so we have something that turns back. He said they're just little jump kickers and be perfect for you for your first one. So I ran to the milk parlor. And told dad, I said, you're going to have to finish my chores because I'm leaving. <laughs> and he, said he wasn't too happy with me, but I was, I told him I'm out, I'm leaving. And Rich told me, he said, it's like an hour, hour and a half drive. And we we're on the road for about 45 minutes to an hour. And all of a sudden he looks at me and says, oh, I forgot to tell you, we're not going to that practice pen after all. We're going to a different practice pool that actually had big bulls. And I said, okay, well, that's fine. And we didn't talk much about it. And we went to the practice pen that night. And I had to use all his gear, you know, because I didn't have any gear. And got on a bull, and this 
I mean, it was just a little jump kicker, pen hopper that run out across the pen and was about to the panels and he just turned and I just flipped right over the, over his head. And, <laughs> um, I rode him for about four seconds and I was all excited. I was like, let's do it again. But I didn't get on that night again. We were packed up stuff and headed home and we were on the road for about 10, 15 minutes. He kind of looks at me and he says, you know, I really didn't think you'd actually get on. I said, why not? I've been, you, I've told you, I've been wanting to try it. He's like, I know, but I figured these bigger bulls would actually scare you. I said, no. I said, I, I don't know why they'd scare me if I've been wanting to try it. I mean, I, I had never gone to an actual practice pen to watch you guys before. I've gone to rodeos and board items before, and I've been wanting to try it. So I don't know why these practice pen bulls would scare me. And it's like, I just really didn't think you'd actually try it. And then it was probably three months later until I got on, got on my second bull. And I got on two that day, got on, got on two just good little jump kicker bulls. And, uh, that was in August or September. And then that next spring, March, April, I started I mean, I bought my Mid-States card, um, which is co-sanctioned with a lot of IRAs. Uh -huh. um, used to be a pretty big deal up around these parts, but it's kind of died down some. Yeah. Zebra's and then pretty big up there. What's that? Zebra's pretty big up by you guys. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then there was a couple, couple open events that, I'd go to and started riding bulls, what I call full-time. Um, and, yeah, I've been – I tell everybody I wanted to try it back then. I'm still trying it now. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I've been very blessed with my career as far as injuries. I mean, I – you know, a lot of people – a lot of people tried to convince me that this past year wasn't my year um that it was just a bad year for me but in my opinion i was en route to having the best year i've ever had best year of my career ever and it was uh i mean it's been six months now but i call it a small setback i mean it's part it's part of the part of the career yeah i've been very blessed with my career so how can i sit here and bitch about being off for six months now you know having one bigger setback i mean i've had this uh i've been the first first year when i got on my first bull was i think in 2011 and then the spring of 2012 i believe it was was when i started trying to go and go to board islands every chance i could get yeah so been doing it for almost 12 years and honestly before breaking my back i've been off for i think the the longest i've had to take off was two two months wow that's actually so, impressive that's impressive so you know i've been surgeries now so i've I've been very, very blessed with as far as injuries went. You know, I mean, I I broke my free hand, 
and I took like a weekend off of that because I had my was in a uh, soft cast, so I didn't ride with that. And then after I cut the soft cast off and took the stitches out, I had to do surgery on it, so I ended up having to take the stitches out then. And they just they put a splint on it. Told me I can't can't ride um, until I can get out of the splint. But me and my wife took two rolls of vet wrap <laughs> every night before I'd go before I'd get to the bull riding on on the drive there. I'd be driving. I'd hold my hand arm over to her, and she'd roll two rolls of vet wrap on my arm and. Uh, Still to this day, I think most people thought I had an actual cast on my hand. <laughs> uh, I mean, I I even after I was allowed to or wasn't didn't have to wear my brace anymore, I still wore it just because like I it was something I got used to, right? And I felt like I rode better with it than I did without it, and you know it was. That, I, I mean, I took a week off for that and then kept on riding with that. I broke my jaw, and I think I took a month off for that. Um, broke broke my pelvic once before, or cracked it, and was too stubborn to go get it checked out. I couldn't sit straight for about a month, but I was too stubborn to go get it checked out. And then uh, a while later, when I the one time I ended up waking up in a hospital they told me that uh they did ct scans and i i recently cracked my pelvic and i'm like oh yeah that's why i couldn't sit straight for about a month (laughs) um and i've had you know i mean just small kind of nagging injuries i mean i haven't had nothing major until i broke my back and it's i mean i can thank the good lord for that for keeping his hand over me and watching over me and blessing me every day, I guess. Yeah, no joke. I, I've i had some, mine have been a little bit more like major, like getting stepped on kind of stuff where it's like uh, you can't prevent it. But I've been blessed on the nagging part. I really haven't had anything like nagging injury. That Probably the, the nagging injury would have been, I mean, I broke my jaw, but that really wasn't, you know, you just, you don't, it sucks you know drinking out of right. freaking straw all the time eating yeah. out of straw, but um, yeah. probably my fibula i broke my fibula and snapped it and i kept riding that was kind of nagging but it wasn't like you know that was more once you get in the chute you better be nodding your head because as long as they don't lean on you it's not really a big deal but outside of that i haven't had too much that's kind of on the nagging side um you know i've been blessed on that point which uh, Again, that's when I've been able to ride, I've been able to at least ride to my potential, you know, not have to deal with that quite as much. But I my I started when in two thousand twelve and nine surgeries and I've had four shoulder surgeries, so that's two years right there. (laughs) Right. Oh. Yeah, I mean I've I've had, you know, the first first year of team season I had uh my right knee. Um, at our home event, when I rode homebrew, um, after I rode him, I didn't have the greatest get off, and I didn't didn't get away from him as good as I should have. And he stepped on the back of my knee, and he screwed something up on the inside of my knee. Yeah, and 
like it was hot to the touch like i couldn't hardly touch it and it felt like somebody was stabbing we stabbing me with a branding iron right beside my kneecap Mm -hmm. and i mean that that was always just kind of a pain in the rear end and uh we kind of had had a thing going that first year of team season that most of our team lived on on Banamine that weekend, <laughs> um, or over the weekends because we were kind of beat up. But it was something that you know Banamine. If we took some Banamine or whatever, took some pain medicine, it it kind of kick it off for for a day or so. And right, good. Um, so that was kind of. It's still something that kind of fires up every now and then. It's something that hasn't never really gone away a hundred percent like i feel like it should have and then i my writing hand i've dislocated my writing thumb uh i think three or four times i've i've dislocated it a time or two each way you know where it went down one time and then the next time it went up and so i just got kind of shit for ligaments in my thumb and that's something that do you take your wrap? Do you um see if I can do that? Do you take it like that or do you cross over? I cross over. Cross I, over. I yeah. man, there's been so many problems. I I feel like Dakota Eagleburger, he tore the ligaments. I used to cross over and then I messed up that ligament right there and yeah. I started going that way and I never had any some issues. Well, um, when I, the first time I heard it when, the first time I dislocated, they asked me, and I, um, I told them, "Hell, I don't know. I don't didn't pay that much attention to it. I mean, it's just something I never really paid that much attention to. But I always tried pulling it up. Yeah. But you know, I mean, once you take your wrap and you got a bull that you know ain't standing and squatting in there or something you move them around well you're gonna probably gonna move your hand around a little yeah, bit yeah right and they said well you probably had your thumb like this and then when you went out over the front your thumb pushed in his back and it pushed that thumb back that's why he dislocated it I, yeah <laughs> so i tried starting to make sure you know i always pull it up here and make sure it's up here well then the next person told me well that's why you dislocate your thumb because we brought <laughs> front while it pushes it back like that instead of pushing it back like this so i don't know left from right on where to put my thumb at this point maybe i should just cut it off (laughs) off. (laughs) but no i i try to tape it just keep it taped every time i ride but it's like when it's hot when it's hot out and i get sweaty that tape don't stick worth a shit and kind of slides around there and gets loose and then sometimes it don't really help anyway if it is taped and then i'll tape it sometimes i'll tape it for a long time and then it feels really good ain't had a problem with it for a long time and i've had times where i quit taping it and probably didn't ride with it for like a year tape or didn't tape it no more rode with it like that never had an issue with it all of a sudden one day boom ha here we go again and then got to start taping it again. I did that. I felt like the groin wraps were for me. So I went, you know, I, I wore groin wraps all the time. And then I'm like, you know what? Screw it. My groins feel good. 
And so I went to a PBR in Colorado. Me and Keith went there, and I freaking I me and another guy split it. Okay, so we split the win. And when I was coming off, I freaking my spur just grabbed hold of the flank rope, and it did freaking pull my groin. And so we there was a bounty bull, and so they're like, instead of doing a drawing, which one? They're like, we're just gonna give you both a bounty bull. <laughs> and I did the bull that I drew did go right into that groin. And yeah. I freaking did. I the second he went into it, I just freaking collapsed on the inside. No strength. <laughs> he wrecked me out. And after that, I'm like, you know what? I think I'm just gonna freaking get some compression shorts and I'm just not gonna ever try that again. <laughs> hey there, folks. I wanna tell you about my favorite cowboy hat brand, Sombrero Brands. As a professional bull rider, I know how important it is to have a hat that not only looks good, but can withstand the toughest rides out there. And that's exactly what Sombrero Brands delivers. Their hats are custom fitted and shaped to perfection, with a level of attention to detail that's hard to find these days. But what really sets Sombrero Brands apart is the fact that they're a family-owned and operated business. Mark and Kendall Holler, the owners, and their daughter Sarah, who's only 13 but already a hat-making prodigy, are all passionate about their craft. They know what it takes to make a cowboy hat that can stand up to anything the rodeo circuit can throw at it. And get this, the founder's grandfather, Polly Holler, was born and raised at South Camp on the Four Sixes Ranch. These folks have got cowboy blood running through their veins, and it shows in every hat they make. That's why I'm proud to have Sombrero Brands as a major sponsor for my podcast, the Rodeo Wagon Podcast. So if you're in the market for a hat that's tough enough to handle anything the rodeo throws at it, Give Sombrero Brands a try. Trust me, you won't be disappointed. What's up, everybody? I'm thrilled to announce a fantastic partnership between the Rodeo Wagon Podcast and Rodeo Life Official. Rodeo Life isn't just a coffee brand. It's a veteran-owned business that epitomizes the principles of hard work, dedication, and perseverance in all their products. As an avid consumer of Rodeo Life Coffee, I am proud to align myself with a company that mirrors my values and resonates with our audience. Supporting this veteran-owned business is not only a testament to our shared ethos, but also a way to give back to those who have served our country. This partnership promises exciting content, collaborations, and surprises for all our listeners and the rodeo community. You can anticipate special episodes featuring the Rodeo Life experts and even a chance to win some Rodeo Life merchandise. We look forward to this journey with Rodeo Life and the enriching experience it will bring our audience. Join us as we venture into this partnership fueled by a passion for rodeo and a great cup of Rodeo Life coffee. Stay tuned for more exciting updates and the amazing things to come from the Rodeo Wagon Podcast and Rodeo Life Official. Make sure you go to rodeolifeofficial.com and check out all their sweet merch. Are you searching for that perfect statement? Look no further than Bluegrass Engraving, where creativity meets craftsmanship. Their specialty lies in creating custom buckles and dip cans, but that's not all. They redefine elegance with an exquisite line of jewelry. And for those who appreciate a little flair, check out their engraved guns collection. At Bluegrass Engraving, they don't just create products. They craft experiences. Visit Bluegrass Engraving today and let them turn your visions into engraved realities. Bluegrass Engraving, where artistry meets authenticity. And that, I mean, that was something I dealt with the first year of teams as well was Actually, when I rode homebrew, I think that was the first time I wore a groin wrap was that weekend. Okay. Or that night, I had I had strained my groin muscles pretty hard, and I actually 
sport i've never been much for taping or rapping something i've never been a big fan of it and just like my thumb for instance i i think i dislocated it three times before i ever started taping it <laughs> <laughs> that's how stubborn i am on ta having to tape stuff and sports med finally talked to me into wearing a groin wrap said Let's just put it on and see if it don't help. And if you don't like it, you ain't got to wear it tomorrow. Yeah. And then I actually wore it that weekend. and But I wore it for, I think, two or three weekends. And then I took it off again. And knock on this table because so far I haven't had an issue with it. But I also haven't gotten on boards in the last six months. Yeah. I feel <laughs> like for the groin with me, I didn't like the wraps. The compression shorts, I didn't mind so much. It felt like, you know, you're just wearing, you know, boxers and stuff. Uh, so I, the compression shorts, I've kind of went that direction, and I don't think I'll ever go back to the groin wraps. I felt like right. with the groin wraps, for me to even hold it on my groin, I had to go around my hips. And yeah. like, I'm with you on, like, obviously there's certain things, like with my knees and stuff, you know, I wear knee braces. Um, but if I cannot wear something, and, you know, then I prefer, especially like your hips, because if your hips are not being, you know, if your hips right. are moving fluidly and they're not reacting quickly, me and you both know what happens when you get on a good bull that's going to jump ahead. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh, mm. uh, yeah. But no, I, um, yeah, I've, I've just never been a big fan of rapping shit or taping it, but. I guess if it helps, if it, it, it if it helps, it helps. If they taught me into using it and it helps me one time, I'll probably continue using it. Yeah, and the sports med, especially the PBR sports med, are pretty freaking good. I will say that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I like not to be in there, but I also <laughs> like to be in there. <laughs> but they take care of you in there for sure. Yeah, for sure. What I guess it's another thing that I wanted to kind of talk to you about, and it's one it's one thing that, you know, those boys have kind of talked to me a little bit about was like finances and, you know, what does this look like as far as transitioning into being a professional bull rider and and you know, what kind of wisdom do you have, especially, you know, your 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 background, you know, it's similar background and coming in and you know, you probably understand a little bit. I can only imagine going from a community like that to the world that we live in outside of those communities so in one sense those communities are those amish communities are great you know and i think that you know one thing i've noticed is even the the ex-amish the that are coming out of those communities they've maintained their face and that's awesome you know and i think that yeah. that gives them a lot of wisdom on how to be able to handle the overstimulating culture that they're getting into but the financial right. side is probably another unique thing, you know. What's your advice on that? Uh, I mean, that's that's one of the biggest things, you know, for um, to step into the PBR. You know, when I first started riding bulls, the one, you know, majority of people say, "Well, if." If you're a bull rider and you don't want to be a world champ, there's you're riding bulls for the wrong reason. And the biggest goal I had when I started riding bulls was to make it on tour at least one time. 
if I make you on tour one time, I'm happy with where I've gone in my career. Okay. So you make it there one time. It's like, man, I don't know why I can't just stay here. You know, I'm, I'm good enough to be here with everybody else. I don't know why I can't keep going. But I think it was for me, the big part for me to be able to, you know, ride, right at that level was my confidence. I had a, I always struggled pretty hard with my confidence at that level, you know, having the background that, that I did was my, my, in my mind, I always, my mind always told me, well, you're not supposed to be a board rider. You grew up an Amish kid. You weren't born to be a board rider. And that's something I always struggled with. But on the other hand side, it's, you know, God put us in places for a reason. And, and he gave us um, the talent and the ability to do certain things for a reason. Um, whether it's, you know, lead, being a leader or, you know, opening people's eyes for what God can do himself. You know, I mean, there's a lot of different reasons, I guess, kind of hard to put into words for me. Um, but that was, that was the big thing was just being able to believe in myself that I actually did belong. Yeah. At, and, you know, it's, if you, if you actually just think about it, you know, we're all human beings. There's not one of us on this earth that's better than anybody else. We might be better bull riders, but as a person, as a whole, there's nobody on this planet that's better than anybody else. And we're all here for a reason. We're all here to serve a purpose. And it's just, you know, just finally realizing that God's leading the way. You got to trust in him and just put your faith in him and he'll take care of you. Yeah. And you know. As far as financially, you know, there's, there's times when, when you struggle, <laughs> I mean, I'm there's, there's that, I'm sure there's that time for any board rider. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, there's, there's times when, when you get to the point where you don't know how you're, how you're going to keep going or you don't know if you're going still going forward or if you're going backward or if you're going left or if you're going right. <laughs> um, but the big thing, I mean, one of the big things I guess for me was, um, that, you know, a lot, of, a lot of these Amish communities are different, you know, from the Amish out there, the Amish in here, the Amish, mm -hmm. you know, you know, and there's Amish down south of here, and there's Amish right close to here that are way different than what my parents and my brothers and sisters are. Okay. Um, but for me, you know, when I first started riding bulls, my oldest brother was actually probably the biggest hater I had. <laughs> but he was probably the biggest motivator I had as well. <laughs> um, but after about three years of me riding bulls and he figured out that it don't matter what he has to say. I'm going to do what I'm going to want to do. He actually became probably my biggest fan. That's awesome. Um, I mean, there for, Oh, it was after I, 
when I first made it on tour the first time back in 19, 18 or 19, I can't remember when it was, um, he started calling me like basically, or when I first started going to the PBRs hard, like every, every Sunday afternoon or Monday, he'd call me and ask me how I did. And if I'd, t if I'd have to sit there and tell him I bucked off, he'd rip my ass and be like, well, you know, that's not <laughs> what you're supposed to do, right? Like, you're supposed to freaking stay on. That don't pay the bills falling off. Yeah, no shit. How well <laughs> do I know this? Uh, so, you know, I mean, at first, I, he was hating on me for riding bulls, and it motivated me to become better. And then... Once he realized that it don't matter what he's going to do, he kind of flipped and became my biggest fan. And it, I don't know, I guess a lot of that actually helped me to, you know, I had, I ended up having the support of my, my oldest brother there to keep me going. And, um, you know, there's times when you hit rock bottom and, uh, you got a brother to help you out. Brothers are there for a reason. And, and there's, you know, then there's Amish communities where you leave the Amish. You don't get to talk to them anymore. Like you'll go back to their house and they, they will not talk to you. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, that's the one big thing that I had versus where, you know, some, some of those Amish ex Amish board riders don't have. Um, but the biggest thing I can, I can say, I guess, as far as mentally, physically, or financially, even is for these guys is just don't give up. Winners don't, winners don't quit. And I, I mean, I had, I had a guy tell me the other day about he's going to, he's going to quit entering these deals because he always just falls off for just the good ones anyway. And, but that's, I mean, that's the huge thing for me is you just told yourself you fall off with just some good ones there. So it don't matter if you're going to go back to entering amateur deals or so-called easier bull ridings until you're riding good again and then try and come back and enter those again. Your mind, your mind is a very, very powerful thing. Yeah. So you just, you told yourself it might've been two months ago. You told somebody else that, well, I just buck off of it. Just these good bulls at these deals anyway. So why do I want to keep entering? I, I'm going to go back to entering these until I, I'm riding good again. Then I'm going to go back to entering those. When you come back to entering those, your mind is so powerful your mind is still thinking it's going to go back to thinking this. Well, I just fall off at just a good one anyway. So what's going to happen? You're going to fall off of those. You're going to keep on falling off of those good ones. But if you don't quit, you keep pushing. You, you'll eventually ride your way out of it. Yeah. And, but the moment you tell yourself, I'm going to quit doing this because I just fall off of the good ones or what, or I draw like shit every time or I, 
I draw the rank as one in the pen every time. The big thing you told your mind is I quit. And what's one thing winners never do? Quit. <laughs> quit. The moment you tell your mind you quit, you got your mind convinced. It's that easy to convince your mind that you're going to quit mm -hmm. because your mind wants to quit. But if you're, if you, it's a lot harder to create a good habit or a great mentality than it is to create a bad habit or a bad mentality. Yeah. It takes, I mean, that, that's one thing that somebody told me years ago. There's, there's a lot of things this person does that I don't agree with. But the one thing he told me that I do agree with, he told me it takes 21 days to create a good habit. It takes 21 minutes to create a bad habit. <laughs> uh, it's, I mean, I'm not going to disagree with that because it, it only takes a little moment to have a bad mindset or make a bad habit and you go back and you look at what you did and you tell your mind, oh, this is what I did. But you don't tell your mind that I'm not going to do that again. This is what I'm going to do to fix it, right? So you just told your mind, this is what I did. This is what I do. Now, now your mind is believing all of that. Yeah. But to fix that takes a lot longer and it's a lot harder. It's just, I mean, just like looking off of a board. Uh, you know, you, you look off of a bull and you get bucked off. You go back and you ask your buddies, what did I do? You, all your buddies say, oh, you looked off. No, I didn't look off. <laughs> go watch your video. Oh, I looked off. What are you going to do to fix it? You got to tell your mind right away what you're going to do to fix it. Yeah. Or else you're going to create a bad habit. Because if you don't fix it at that point, the next time you're getting on a bull, your mind is already thinking, oh, the last one I looked off. And then what's going to happen on this one? You're going to look off. That I mean, I get there's, there's a lot of people that got a different, that got different ideas, I guess. And I don't know. I'm, I'm a firm believer in, in that. And that's, that that is what creates bad habits is you don't fix it. People don't fix it right away. I think it's a lot, it's commitment too. So yeah. you know, it's not just an idea that you think about, like you have to be fully committed to doing that. You know, right. Getting in the habit. I, again, like you're saying, it's, it's super easy to get out of the habit of being fully committed to something. It's, and everybody's gone through this. So if you're listening and you're new, Jose's gone through this. You know, JB went through this at some point. Maybe not. Maybe that's the one guy. I don't want to accept. You know, but but everybody at some point goes through this. So don't think that like if you're going through this, it's like, oh, I'm, you know, I I can't I'm I'm never gonna be able to reach that level because these guys would never be like that. No. They went through it too. And you just you have to get in the habit of being fully committed. And if you do mess up one time, 
knowing that you're going to need to be fully committed to, you know, the next time doing it correctly and building that habit. Because, look, if you're fully committed and you make mistakes, that's much better than being half in making mistakes. Honestly, if you're half in and you strap one for 88, like, I'd rather a guy, you know, be all in and, you know, just be... 84 not even get by one in the long run like in over and over been because that guy that's half in the consistency is he's going to struggle with that you know and, yeah. and you see guys like that you see guys that if it, the bull fits them perfect they can be half in and it's just going to pick them up every round you know yeah. Um, yeah. and that can be that can almost be a false sense of you know i did things right <laughs> yeah I think yeah. having accountability too, having people around you that are honest with you, like you said, like if you are looking off and you are going through that, like making sure you're traveling with people that are going to point that out to you, you know, because yeah. one of the hardest yeah. things to do is actually to accept that you actually did do that. <laughs> yeah. And I, like, I feel like, yeah, now, you know, the world we live in nowadays, you know, there's, Especially for like the UTB, you know, a lot of guys are flying from here to there, flying from here to there. There's not near as many guys driving with each other, you know, where you, yeah, say so called traveling partners, you know, you might room with them for that weekend or whatever. But I feel like a lot of that has gotten away from us where, you know, we hold each other accountable for it. And now that's, you know, there's there's a lot of people, I'm pretty sure there's still a lot of people out there that still don't like the team season after two years. I mean, there's a lot of people that changed their attitudes about it and actually started liking it now. But there's pretty sure there's still a lot of people out there that still hate it. That's one of the parts, though, that the Uh team series definitely is helping. It has to help. And that's that's one of the big things, you know, that, you know, we're we're a team now and we got teammates that hold us accountable, but even better than teammates, we got coaches and managers that hold us accountable for doing shit wrong. And, you know, it's, I think it's played a big part in a lot of guys. We're at already. I, you know, I think that this, this is why the Brazilians were so successful for so long. And the Americans, you know, again, those Brazilians are, are traveling together. Yeah. I mean, you know? Those, you know, a lot a lot of them live. Yeah. I don't know, maybe a 10-mile radius. <laughs> and, you know, all, all, the, all us Americans are scattered all over the United States. Yeah. And, you know, them Brazilians, they, they practice together. They study bulls together. They they hold each other accountable. They, uh, they travel together and all that stuff, you know? So, I mean, you got a, you got a good point. Yeah. I, I love, I'm actually a huge fan of this team concept. There's look, there's details that everybody's going to be frustrated with. And I think it's important that, you know, the writers and the, the, probably the coaches too, you know, I'm sure everybody, in a new sport that's completely brand new, like nobody, this is, this is unprecedented, you know? So like, it's going to take time for a lot of those kinks to kind of get worked out 
And, you know, right. I, I, I'm confident, though, that if they continue to, you know, hammer down, that those kinks will get worked out. And I think it'll be for the betterment of the next generation, hopefully. Right now, it's super hyper-focused on making sure everything is working within the team concept. But even in the future, what is this going to look like for skill development? And I'm excited about right. that because, look, another thing that the, the Brazilians have is within that community, they're the skill development that happens, right? And right. Americans are so spread out, like, it's you don't have that quite as much like i don't know about you but when i came into the sport like it was freaking where do you go to learn other than just going and jumping on bulls and you know like that's what we did i'd go get on 10 bulls and practice pen just like this last weekend we had you know i was at at an amateur deal judging it and i was sitting in there in the office we were it was about five minutes before they closed books um I mean, they, they got call-ins Mondays, but then, you know, if you got your no-shows or whatever, they always got a couple guys that want to double in or whatever. And we had this kid walk in, and he's like, how much are the entry fees? And the secretary was like, what's your name? And, like, he had a T-shirt and jeans on. Yeah, had no cowboy hat, nothing. I mean, you could tell he wasn't a bull ride. And she's like, what's your name? And he he said his name, and she's like, did you call in? Because she looked at her list, and she didn't see his name, and she asked him, did you call in? And he's like, no, I didn't know I had to call in. She's like, yeah, you got to call in Monday. And he's like, oh, I thought you can just show up and get on a board. And they didn't have their novice guys weren't all showed up yet. And she's like, well, if a couple of these guys don't show up, you We'd probably get you in. You got any gear? He's like, shit, no, I got to borrow everything. I don't have anything yet. I've never been on a bull before. I'm like, you might want to just walk back out the door and go to practice, fam. But a lot of guys like around here, they think you can just go to any bull ride and then just walk in and enter it. No, go to practice, fam. Get on a get on a couple bulls first and get, if you're serious about it, then go get some gear and go enter up. But I mean, granted, they're novice pennies. I mean, it's a novice pennies. Just some are jump kickers, some are old turd spinners. But <laughs> it's still, it's it's an amateur bull ride, and it's not a it's not a place to just get on your first bull. Sure, I I I am I am actually hopeful for the future for that process. I'm hopeful for it. Uh, yeah. I think that you know, in the past, we haven't had the technology and the information that we do now and and with you know the team stuff i i think that that's gonna they're gonna they're gonna have to start developing you know like just like right. other sports do like baseball you know you think of you know mlb baseball these guys spend you know freaking they're a lot of them are 25 before they even get into the big leagues and they're spending you know seven years in you know this process you know and honestly even it's even younger i mean they're developing these kids from the time they're eight years old to prepare them for a level you know that they're gonna right. when they're and i think that's the next step within this you know industry is how can we better prepare the youth coming up to be able to more smoothly grow into that and not be like you know me 18 years old i you, you know you were older when you got in and and all of a sudden you're just 
freaking jumping into, you know, probably bulls that are above, you know, your skill level and you haven't developed either physically or, you know, uh, within the skill to be able to handle it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My, I was, uh, I'm th- pretty sure I was just turned 19 when I entered my first PBR and I, like I, I had just moved out to Kansas with Rich and Tim and Rich told me there's a PBR in Guthrie, Oklahoma that he's going to enter if I want to, if ask me and Tim, if we want to go too. And I was like, shit, yeah, I didn't, I mean, I was like, enter me, put me in. If I get in, I'll go. If not, I'll, I'll come hang out and not having the slightest clue about this event and nothing. And I don't think I even knew about it or even really cared about it the day I was there. But I found out sometime later that that was actually a classic. (laughs) Like long John was there and a bunch of them big name classic bulls that they were, I think Pearl Harbor was there. Uh, They had a couple, you know, of them. No, it wasn't Pearl Harbor. A couple of them big, big time that ended up being world champion contender bulls in the next couple of years were at that. Yeah. PBR. And one of my good friends actually got on Long John or wasn't a good friend back then. But a couple of years later, I got to know him and traveled with him a couple of times. And I found out that he actually got on Long John at that same event that was my first PBR. Um, But yeah, I mean, I got basically thrown to the wolves. (laughs) I mean, I have been riding bulls for about a year and a half when I went to my first PBR. and not knowing that I really had no business there. Mm-hmm. And there's even like, there's now there's guys up here that like, they won't go to a whole lot of Borans during throughout the year. And then, you know, you got Grand Rapids and it's up here North where not a lot of guys, you know, a lot of guys got to fly up here, drive 10, 12 hours to come up here and, what time of the year is it every time during the winter when it's snow? And so, you know, you always got people that their flights get canceled and they can't make it or something. There's always alternate spots fill up and these guys had entered it and they enter PBR for the one time they're during the year. And it's like, guys, it, you need to go home and just go to the amateur board and work on getting better. But on the other hand side, that's that's how you get better is by getting on better bulls. But it's not by going to the PBRs or going to to the velocities or whatever. It's go home, go to your local practice pen, or find a good practice pen that has those better type of bulls. You know where you can you can get on those better type of bulls and start. Instead of dumping 180 bucks into an event that you are like 99% positive, you're probably not going to ride your bull because you don't have experience riding that caliber of bulls. Yeah. So, but it's, I think the future is looking a little brighter again than it has the past couple of years. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of young kids coming that have a lot of, a lot of talent, have a lot of ability, and um, 
I don't know. I don't know how the kids wise are looking down there, but up here they got they got a couple little miniature boarding associations started up up here to you know where they can help build up the young kids now. So that that's the one big thing that back when I started riding, they didn't have none of that where they had the miniature boardines up here. Yeah. Uh, not that I could have gotten on mini bulls back then anymore. <laughs> anyway, you just you never heard of miniature bull riding up around these parts. Yeah, not even here in Missouri, we didn't. Right. Heck, I wanted to when I first started. I really wanted to do saddle bronc, and I was too broke to afford one of the saddles, and there was nowhere to learn. And so then um, I I found out that they did at that time, which there's not a whole lot now, but at that time there were some practice pins around for bull riding. And I, they're like, you can just borrow stuff. And I'm like, well, heck, then I'm in. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's kind of how it started for me. But, you know, look, I, there, there's certain spots, you know, like you look at skill development and stuff. We're not talking about the John Krembers of this world that are, you know, there there is a group of young generation that's being bred up in the right atmosphere and skill development is just a natural part of the process. I, yeah. I'm not so concerned about that. It's really the people that want to get into this sport that are not from this sport. Like my I'm the only person in my entire family from all you know all the way back that ever got into rodeo probably the same for you yeah same here <laughs> it's, a, it's a different process learning the sport when you come into that then if you grew up you know and you know you were riding calves and she sheep and calves and steers and you went through that whole process and and you were yeah. riding the route around the right people no actually I, I shouldn't say i'm the only one because actually i think the reason my oldest brother was my biggest hater is he actually did ride bulls for a year did he okay <laughs> and so me and my me and my oldest brother are actually a lot alike we so you know i have a twin brother but my, i'd uh i'd make a closer twin with my oldest brother than i actually do with my actual twin that's funny and you know, there's there's a lot of people that say that um, people that are the same or like they have the same attitude or the same same mindset or whatever. A lot of times they butt heads because mm -hmm. they like they want to be. No, I want you to do it my way. But he's got the same idea. But I want it to be my way, not your way even though it's doing the same thing. And a lot of people, a lot of the people from up here always said that the reason he hated on me for riding bulls was because he knew I was going to be better than him and he didn't want that to happen. Yeah. Um, but he rode bulls for about a year and I think he only ever rode a bull for the whole eight seconds as his wife would put it, um, at a practice pen. And they actually did go to a bull ride once and where I was riding that back when, I mean, this was 
Uh, I think it would have been that first winter that I was riding regular. And uh, I rode the bull good for six seconds, and it was in the jackpot. I rode him good for six seconds, and then I hung off the side for the last two. And I made the whistle, and I was like 73 points. It was a little calf, and it was just a nut spinning around the left into my hand. And, you know, I screwed him up. But I, I think I ended up pulling last hole money. And I walk over to my brother and his girlfriend at the time and had a big shitty grin on my face. And was like, oh, look at me. You know, I'm a big dude. You know, I, I, I got this shit and whatever. And he looks at me and just kind of got this pissed off look at his face. And he's like, that bull shouldn't even have been in the jackpot. That was no jackpot bull. That was a novice bull. That was just a calf. And I'm like. The calf part has nothing to do with why he's a jackpot or a novice bull. And he's like, well, that bull was only like half the size of any of the others. He should have been a novice. I'm like, I mean, I I was in the jackpot. I mean, that was the bull I drew in the jackpot, so I'm going to be happy with it. And he goes to the restroom, and his girlfriend looks at me and says, I mean, that was more than he ever did. He never won any money. He only rode a bull once for the full eight seconds at the practice pen. And I look at her and I'm like, what? And she's got this big shitty grin on his, on her face. <laughs> so I kind of kind of had that in my back pocket. And I just turned around and walked away. I had a little shitty grin on my face. I'm like, yeah, I'm better than him. <laughs> uh, but then, like, after that, he went to... Like, I guess every weekend went after after I'd post my videos, you know, when I rode my bulls or whatever, you know, there's there was some that were close calls, you know, where, you know, I might have come down right at the whistle or whatever. And, and he had a buddy of his that he, I mean, he was married Amish man at this point. Mm-hmm. And he'd have a friend or whatever that would, show him the videos or call him and be like, oh, Marcus wrote another one, this and that. And every week he'd call me and just cuss me. Ah, you, you didn't even make the whistle on this one. You shouldn't have won no money on this one, this and that. Find some stupid excuse on why I shouldn't have won nothing. I'm like, uh, pretty sure the judge just gave me a score, so I don't know why I shouldn't have why I didn't make the whistle or why I shouldn't have gotten paid. Um, but yeah, it's uh, have, having a brother or friend there to keep you accountable sure helps you. Dang right, it does. Yeah, especially you get some honest ones like Dakota Eagleburger, and yeah, he's pretty freaking honest, he'll let you know. Yeah. <laughs> There's a few of them. <laughs> yeah. Man, well, I know it's freaking late. Um, I'm not sure what time you go to bed, but I'm an early riser myself. <laughs> oh, you know, it's ever since I broke my back, it kind of fluctuates. Sometimes it's 8 o'clock, sometimes it's 12 o'clock. Yeah, probably it's the sleep. Yeah. yeah. With, my, with yeah. my shoulder, it's probably not as worse, but there for a minute, I had to sleep in my recliner. Cause I couldn't lay on my back. So I just slept in my recliner every night, <laughs> but that was back. I'm sure it's harder. Well, and I actually, I, I had to wear my brace to sleep and 
I was supposed to lay on my back to sleep. Yeah. So that that took a lot to get used to, but are you not a I'm so used to it now. I'm so used to sleeping on my back now that that's just how I sleep. <laughs> no, see that's the thing is I never never really slept on my back before. Yeah. Yeah. I've that's a hard adjustment. Up. Yeah. Um but you know, I mean I the the first no, I would have been in the hospital for basically a day. And before they knew everything on what was what, before I even had a brace on, I couldn't move. I was just laying on a hospital bed, straight, flat, I mean, flat, just stretched out. And that's how I laid for about, oh, it was about 24 hours straight. Hmm. Couldn't get up, couldn't eat, couldn't couldn't drink nothing. That's that's all I could do was just lay stretched out flat on the bed. And I mean it kinda got to the point where like when I sat up, once I got my brace on and was able to sit up some mm-hmm. where finally I'd lay myself back flat because it was comfortable like that. I had been laying like that for about 20, 24 hours straight, and it like it felt good. Uh, but yeah, it, it definitely took some years to get into at home. Like first week or so, first week was rough, and I, I mean, there's, I might start out in the bed and I'd sleep for an hour, and then I'd wake up and yep. I'd have to go walk around for about an hour, and then I might fall back asleep laying on the recliner and I'd sleep for about an hour and then I'd get back up and have to go walk around for about an hour and then I might go to bed or I might go to the recliner and yeah it was rough that first week I got up about every hour and I was up for about an hour every time and, and then about second third week it started getting better to you know where I'd sleep for maybe two hours before I'd have to get up and yep. go walk around, and get stretched out. But and I don't know about you, but the one thing I can't stand is painkillers. <laughs> no, I, I dude, I can't stand them. I I just I I I take as little, if not any, as I possibly can. Like I, you know, I I have I've I all have painkillers just go expired. <laughs> you know, where they probably yeah. don't even work anymore. And like I've. I've always, I mean, I've always had a pretty, pretty decent pain tolerance to yeah. where I haven't really ever, I mean, I'll take pain medicine every now and then if I absolutely yeah. have right. And I, you know, I wasn't, Tandy had told me, had given me ibuprofen and Tylenol to take. That's, he said, as, if I, if you want me to prescribe you something, he can, I can, but he said, and I didn't take nothing at the hospital besides ibuprofen and Tylenol. Yeah. And that normally, I think once a day I took something that was stronger. Yeah. And that kind of kept everything kind of kicked away and whatever. And sure. hey, if you want me to prescribe you something stronger, I can. But if not, go home and you take Tylenol every so many hours and ibuprofen every so many hours. And... 
you know, I come home and I'm thinking, you know, I'm this big hot shot. I don't need need this ibuprofen. I don't need this Tylenol. It's just, you know, it'll the pain will go away and it'll it'll get better. You know, as the days go on, and I I still took them every so often, but I did I wasn't religious on doing it the times when he said, you know, I didn't do it as close together as what he was saying. And I finally, after about a week, like I was just still straight miserable and it wasn't getting no better. And yeah, I finally called him. I was like, Tandy, <laughs> I'll come back down there if it helps for you to prescribe me something. Cause I'm like, I got to try something else because these pain pills ain't helping. Yeah. 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 He's, he immediately, he's like, well, that's because you're not taking them how you're supposed to. If you take them every hour how you're supposed to, or every two hours, I think it was every two hours. He's like, if you take them how you're supposed to, they'll help. And they kind of pissed me off. I'm like, <laughs> telling me I ain't doing what I'm supposed to, and I'm doing everything I can. So I decided, like, I set alarms on my phone, so I know, like, yeah, that goes off. I got to take these pills, and that goes off. I got to take these pills, and I started taking them religiously when I was supposed to, and it took another about a day before it all kicked in. But once I started taking them like that, I I ended up for, I think for like the next week, I took them every like two hours. I yeah. do so many. Ibuprofen, and then like two hours later, I'd have so many Tylenol, and then back to ibuprofen, and then back to Tylenol. Every every other two hours, I'd have to use take the other ones, and like every so often, I'd maybe skip skip the two hour mark, and you know see how it feels. And it was just enough to sometimes it started hurting again. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, we'll give it another day or two, and then, then we'll see how it is. And I think it took about a week or week or two before I could slow it down to about every four hours. I I could take them, and I was fine. And then, yeah, just slowly got better. But it it was rough. It's uh, it was definitely the worst pain that I've ever felt in my life. Man, I, I imagine the back because like I've experienced that stuff, you know, with the other surgeries and generally the first week, you know, you're freaking like you're saying you're alternating every two hours, ibuprofen, Tylenol, ibuprofen, Tylenol. But generally after the first week, you know, it gets better. But heck, anytime you're dealing with a back injury like that, like you're, well, anytime, it, it's a core it, injury is what it is. And you use your it, core for everything. It because it was like. With the brace on, like, it wasn't like I was even moving my back. But it was all the muscles that were, you know, around that area. Like, I'd turn my head to the side to look over here just the wrong way. And, it, you know, a muscle yeah. down there would move and it'd make all those muscles go poof. <laughs> and, like, there's times when... Like I was just going on a slow stroll, you know, just to walk around, to move around. And I'd have to watch myself that I'm just looking straight ahead 
and not moving my legs too fast because there there was times when like my muscles cramped up on like it just felt like a cramp yeah throughout my whole body where they did it so fast like it dropped me in my tracks <laughs> and it was just like Ugh. <laughs> and then i'd have to slowly get back up and just try and make sure i don't do it again <laughs> yeah but it was like it it was just muscle shit that hurt but i I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. I can promise you that. Man, the body. It's a freaking. I don't. I don't think. I, I don't think I hate anybody enough to wish it <laughs> on. <anybody. laughs> oh shoot! Yeah, the only the only time like every once in a while I would have back issues. I remember going to Billings, Montana, in two thousand seven. No, it would have been like two thousand nineteen. I think you were there. Uh, I, we're probably in 19. I think you were there in 19. In 19, um, but I've been, heck, I've been to Billings four times. One of those times, it started off with 45 guys, and then when it came, like, Sunday, there was only 23 of us that got on. No, I don't think I made the Billings cut that year. Cause that, it was nuts. It was like a freaking war zone. They were just carting people was, off one after another. Brian Miller there that year, too. He, he, I don't know. I'm not sure. That's a good question. Mike Lee was. No, Mike wasn't. That would have been beforehand. That's a different. It might have been 17 or 18. Boudreaux Campbell won a team roping that day with Dakota Lewis. They went, <laughs> they went to some team roping that was right there during the day, and I remember they won it. <laughs> That's it. But. Yeah. That was one where my back was so jacked up, and I'm just like, you know, and Banamine, that's what I took. But I was like, I, okay, and it's the one time, I'll say it now, I I don't do this, so, but that was the one time where I went over to Zeke, and I'm like, man, I, I need something. I can't, I can't hardly walk. And so he handed me Fireball, and I probably shouldn't have done that. I was like 7.8 seconds, and I guarantee I would have rode that bull if I had not <laughs> done that, so. But it was like the point where it was like, man, I'm not going to be that guy that drops out. There's already way too many guys that aren't getting on. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Um, that the back stuff, it's a, that sucks. Like, you know, and I freaking not even to that extreme. So I, I could definitely see where you're coming from there. Yeah. So what's your thoughts on the two new teams? So, uh, I, I, we don't know much about New York. I'm I'm really curious on like who's going to be the coach and who's the 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 GM's going to be and some of that. Yeah, that much I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't guess. think I, I don't think they know. Um, with the Oklahoma team, I mean, heck, that's you know, I I love it. I love it, and I hope that they build it up. I don't know what their ultimate goal is in like you know two thousand, you know, in the year five ten, like whether they're going to try to get to a sixteen man league or sixteen team league or what that looks like. But definitely, you know, I think this is what happens, right? So the more teams you get, the more it actually becomes, you know, building these teams. You know, is it. So if you only have, you know, X amount of guys, right, then everybody's going to have a stacked team or whatever. But when you actually start to add teams, now management actually, like a GM actually has a real um, job. 
Yeah, it comes into play bigger. It comes into play, and it, it actually, I think it, it it's exciting. Like, when I look at sports, like when I look at football and I look at, you know, baseball, a big part of that is, like, filling a team together where you're not having just an all-star team. Like, every team's not just an right. all-star team. And I like yeah. that. I think that it adds a whole new, you know, level to to the to the sport. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, it's, I mean, it's looking like it's going to be exciting, but, I mean, I, I might hear more if I'd be on the road, I too. What but. I don't know what's going to, I guess my question with it is, too, how are they going to fill these teams? Because like, now you have, like, all these, you have eight teams that have had the pick of the litter for the last two years, and now you have two brand new teams, and, like, I feel like they're behind the ball on it. Well, so... We can all each team can only what they call double protect. Okay. Three guys. Oh, okay. No, you you could actually normally you could have seven protected guys. Okay. But then what from my understanding, I guess anyway, the way it's supposed to work is we can only each team can only what they call double protect three guys. All right. That the two new teams can't touch. Interesting. Well, I like but, that. I like that. I think it's what good. It is the two new teams get to pick one guy off of each of the eight existing teams. Like they don't, they get up to four guys. You know, if one team gets a guy off of, say, a team gets a guy off of our team, yeah, and that's the only guy we're losing. Okay. Okay. I see. So they could only get one guy off of each off. team. Okay. So I like that. I was wondering how they were going to do that. That that's how I understand yeah. it. But yeah, if it's right. true, I don't know. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's people ask me so much stuff, and I like I'll hear about something, uh, whatever, and kind of feel like I understand it, figured it out, and then when it comes down to it, it's like, huh, that's nothing like I thought it was. <laughs> yeah. So I, it's. There's there's a lot of people that ask me questions about. It. I'm like, I don't know. I my main job is to ride bulls. That's really all I care about. I, yeah. I, I let the GMs and the coaches take care of everything yeah. else. Well, that's where that's where it really becomes. You know, I think for the fan base, you know, in the the community, I'm in the future. That's an interesting part because it is one thing that's different within this team concept is that like you're not living in Kansas City, right. Um, you know, and and so I that that'll be interesting. But I think as far as the fan bases are concerned, like you know, as a sports fan, like when I think of the Cardinals, the St. Louis Cardinals, like it is very intriguing for me the whole process of who are they signing, who can they sign, and who can't. You know, I know in in you know there's salary caps in like the NFL and stuff, right? And you know, I, some I, of those complexities I think add the excitement for the fan, right. And I think that'll come in the future, you know, if, if this keeps going and keeps getting bigger and better, whatever, and the country, contracts keep getting better, yeah. I think that will eventually happen to, you know, where whatever team you're in, on, that's where you're going to be living or at that coach, close to that coach's house or whatever. Sure. Might not be in that city, but might be, probably be at close to that coach's house. Yeah. 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 So, I- if the, if the, the money's there, the it whole, makes sense. 
where the whole teams are together. Right. But yeah. I could yeah. be wrong. Yeah. I, I could be wrong. I mean, that's, uh, I think that's a future thing. Hey, look, we can expect perfection right now, but it's not realistic. Yeah. It's not realistic. Yeah. You know, like, like it doesn't mean uh, that we don't talk about it. It doesn't mean that we as athletes don't talk about trying to be more transparent so that we understand, you know, this is our livelihood, you know, so we understand a little bit of it. But at the same time, you should have some realistic expectation of, okay, they started something brand new and it's going to take time to build up to what, you know, you know, some guys want. And I think that they're making changes. I mean, heck look, one change that they've made from year one to two that I thought was awesome was minimum like minimum payments like if you're on a team like you have to be paid x amount and the first year they didn't have it as much and then last year they made that a a thing so then there's more guaranteed and you know Uh, again that that's that's progress that's moving forwards you know it's easy to talk about when you're talking about a new sport like this it's easy to talk about everything that's going wrong and I think it's important also to look at the things that they're doing that are going in the right direction. Um, right. And there's definitely both, but that's just part of it. I mean, that's, that's part of starting something new up. Yeah. And it's like, it's, I mean, in, in my opinion, just from just my small opinion, I guess, um, from the first year to the second year, I felt like it improved big time. Yeah. Um, I mean, it wasn't big things. It was just a lot of small things right. here, small thing there, small thing there, a lot of small things. That they add up. I felt like they improved, and I felt like overall it, it made a big improvement. Yeah. Um, But I guess it'll be – I think it's going to be interesting with having two more new teams now this year and seeing where how, where everything's going to go with that. Yeah, and, and the New York team's fascinating. Like, okay, Oklahoma, all right. Like, Oklahoma's going to have a team. I, I'm sorry if you're, a, you know, a fan and, like, you're upset about this, but Oklahoma's going to have a team, period. It's just, it's like Texas. Texas is going to have a bull riding team, you know. Uh, Florida, you know, I thought that's a nice addition because Florida, you know, most of Central Florida is, like, big, you know, rodeo country, right? at least cattle country, and... But the the New York, that's cool. And I think it's cool because if you're going to grow anything, you you have to grow it from the outside. I understand, like, you know, some people may be upset about, like, this whole process of trying to, to get more outsiders involved. But you're part of the problem if you're not supporting growing the sport. And the only way you grow it is to get people involved that were not part of it before. I wasn't yep. part of it, and it changed my life being part of this community, and I love it. I've, I've sweat and blood, and and I've prepared myself to die for it, right? Like, right. you know, as and so, like, we need to continue to try to expand that and bring people in from cultures that have not been part of this. And, like, the New York, right. I think I'm excited about that just for that that fact, like, you know, yeah. I think that that's a part of the country where bull riding, everybody, like if you go to the East Coast, they sell out every freaking time. Like you go to Texas yeah. and they may not sell out, but you go to freaking 
New York, they are going to sell out. You go to freaking Maine, they're going to sell out. You know, Connecticut, they're going to sell out this year. <laughs> you know, yeah. so I think having a team there that could actually, you know, be another way to maybe get some more guys coming in. Yep, yep, it definitely could. And if you're a fan, I I hope you guys are smart enough to not be cheering for the new Oklahoma team. <laughs> because the Chiefs are the way to go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, you guys were probably excited. You're like, yeah, finally Oklahoma's going to Florida. <laughs> we we pushed them to a whole different state. Now they're coming up with yeah. another team. Where are they gonna go next? <laughs> yeah, we actually kinda kinda suspected that deal coming already before because the owners of the Oklahoma Freedom comes from florida and he was yeah. wanting to move that team to florida okay and then yeah. when the whole deal come up with the two new teams it was just the perfect opportunity for them to move to florida instead of being in oklahoma now the the owner for the the new oklahoma team he's taylor gooch professional golfer that's kind of cool yeah i guess i don't i don't know i didn't hear who the new owner yeah. is yep taylor gooch um I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. He's and he's still like he's playing right now. Like that's kind of cool. That that is right. kind of cool. Like I it's just funny. That's a different I didn't see that coming so much, you know. Um, but the New York, the New York, so I don't know who it is, but the owners of New York are a group of athletes. So there's a bunch of athletes that are going to own New York too. So that's kind of intriguing yeah. that to, you know, both of these new teams are ownerships coming from athletes outside of, you know, this industry. And that's kind of right. Funny. Right. But I don't know all the details of the New York. I just know that it's a group of athletes that are, you know, part of whatever on the ownership. I don't know if they're going to have a face like an owner or if it's right. just going to be a group, um, how that works, but yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm just waiting. I mean, there's people asking there's people months ago asked me already, who's the new two two new teams gonna be? I don't know. No, no. <laughs> PBR just now released the the one of the new teams and yeah. Who the head coach is for that. So and now is J this is my question. Is J B like for their training, is is it just gonna be like smoke marbles and drink beer <laughs> on a medicine ball? It has to be on a medicine ball or it's not bull riding training. That, that I can't <laughs> tell you, but I hope I don't have to know. <laughs> oh, dude. Oh. I'd, uh, hopefully I get to stay on the team I am on. So Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, as long as we can keep it that way, and I, I don't know how, to, how his training is going to have to be. I, I really don't <laughs> care what his training consists of. <laughs> I'll tell you what. If you get on that team, you better have a winning mindset because I don't think he's going to accept anything less. I would honestly probably won't be a whole lot of training involved as long as you got a mentality to hang on. Yep. Never, yeah. Never quit. They know. You yeah. Know. Yeah, I guess we'll see. Just wait and twiddle the thumbs and see what happens. You know what's funny? I've on So I don't... Outside of, I think, Brady Sims, I brought up the teams. It was fresh, right, when when all that was 
going down. So me and Brady talked about it, but almost every podcast I'm on, whether I bring it up or not, somebody brings up the teams and I've had both sides of the spectrum. I've had the people yeah. that are all for it. And I have the people that are, you know, calling people out. <laughs> let, let me guess. Brady Sims was one of the ones that called called people out on it. Actually, Brady, Brady, dude, Brady was pretty, he was pretty logical. He probably wouldn't like this. He, I, he wasn't against it, to be honest. Um, he, he wasn't in, in our podcast at heck, you know, outside of it. I know Bonner's not a huge fan. Um, Brady, if, some reason you're listening. I'm just doing this to poke a little fun at you. <laughs> Brady, okay, so here's the thing. Brady had been drinking, but um, he was drinking on the podcast, but I think it was so hot out, he hadn't been drinking quite enough. So, you know, you probably yeah. got partial opinions, you know. We didn't get right. the full board. I need, I need to right. get Brady Sims and Klein Hall and just let them sit there, you know. And Oh, boy. That would be a podcast that, right there. That, that could be bad. <laughs> That was like, yeah, yeah, that would be definitely one to to, to save. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd be uh, be an exciting one for sure. I think. Look, I think people are more people are more open to this concept if they're fans of other sports, you know. And Brady's yeah. a diehard Kansas City Chiefs fan, and so I think anybody that has some level of understanding of other sports is probably gonna um, understand a little bit more. Whereas if you if you're if you don't watch other sports and you rodeo all the way, I could see how that could be a big freaking you know challenge to your right <laughs> your bias. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It'll be exciting to see where it goes, you know, in the next few years. Right. Right. But all right, man. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. It's been a long hey, time. Got it. Sorry, it's take taking me so long to get it done. Hey, no, it's no big deal. I keep I'll just keep rolling through. You <laughs> have a bunch of different people on. So Yeah. All right. Sounds good. I appreciate it. Yep.